And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to... We're watching here, we're watching here. This is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams. With me today, he is the Dr. Verringer to my Roger Wade, Perry Cyber. <laughs> Good, I get the money and yeah, I get to live. I All am, right. Yeah, and he, just please don't slap me. Uh, no, again. don't worry. Uh, <laughs> and he gets to be Henry Gibson, which means you get to be in the Burbs, and yeah, but you get to be the Godfather. That so, is you know. true. That, that is true. Uh, and, and Kubrick's films, so you know, <laughs> you win there. I don't know. I, I wouldn't overlook the Burbs. The Burbs is a pretty, pretty <laughs> solid little movie. Uh, we are going to be continuing our discussion of Robert Altman's films today with a discussion of the Long Goodbye. Um, but before we get into that, first some housekeeping. Uh, we recently switched over servers and hosting from um, Big Heads Media, where we were before, to now we're kind of, we're our own business now, Perry. We are, we, we, our podcast is owned by us only now. Um, and I'm hoping everything transferred over correctly. Uh, my Spotify is up and running and everything appears to be going through. But just be patient if you have a few back episodes that aren't uploaded yet. That should all be going through and it should all be done within the next week or two. Um, you shouldn't have to update anything in your feed. Uh, you'll still be able to get the uh, episodes right where you used to get them. And also, I am going to start putting them out in my uh, criticisms newsletter. So there are a few places you can continue to get this podcast as we go through. Uh, we are going to start by doing what we always do. And that is talking about what we've been watching. So, Perry, what have you been watching? So just this past weekend, my wife was away visiting our youngest daughter at college. And so uh, Emma, my oldest, and I were left to fend for ourselves. And uh, inspired in part from a conversation after the uh, Super Bowl halftime show, uh, we we came across the understanding that she had never seen 8 Mile. And so uh, we turned it into a... I hate to call it rock and roll, but I'm using rock and roll in the grand theme of just all popular music, right? Sure. We 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 dove into a stylistically diverse double feature of Head and Eight Mile. So let's talk about oh, wow. Head first. Yeah, have you ever seen Head, Chris? No, it, it is the Monkeys, though, right? It is the Monkeys movie that, which is not really what it is. I mean, it is. Um, it's only a Monkeys movie insofar as you really know the television show, The Monkeys, and watched it and know it well enough to know how much they were trying to comment upon their own fakery and celebrity okay. uh, as that show went along there was a there was a uh, famous television special i think it's the i think it's 33 and a third revolutions per monkey which was sort of the lead up to head where they were really just throwing caution to the wind and weren't really caring they they it was 1968 it was full-on psychedelic time and that's what this movie is a big way you know Head uh, the 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 title runs in a couple of directions, uh, and of course it was written by Jack Nicholson. For those that know this, this is mm-hmm. one of the first films to come from uh, from BBS, the Bert Schneider and Bob Rafelson's production company, which would go on to make Easy Rider, uh, Last Picture Show, King of Marvin Gardens, uh, some of the greatest films of the early seventies. And so it's you know it's um, you know if if a hard day's night was the Beatles film. Uh, with them on speed and then help is the film with them on pot head is the monkeys on lsd okay that should if that is the film will be as exactly as appealing to you as that sounds for me that's great (laughs) i'm i'm happy to watch it it's not great it's not nearly as good as a hard day's night it's not even as good as help and help is way down from a hard day's night but um as both a uh, as both an artifact of its time, it's absolutely uh, worth checking out. And as a, I, I don't want to say it contains any of the monkeys' best music, but it was the point at which they had thrown themselves uh, off of being completely controlled in their musical direction by others. And so, it, it is fun to see what they are, how they are responding to the time that they are in in 1968. And it's got. Some remarkable uh, appearances. Uh, Terry Gar, I believe it's Terry Gar's first movie. I could be wrong in that, but it's got to be really close. Uh, Frank Zappa shows up. 
there's a there's just a bunch of weirdness that happens uh look closely and you will see jack nicholson in the movie uh as well as dennis hopper it's it's uh you know i hate to call it a, a time capsule uh but it kind of is mm-hmm. <laughs> this movie wouldn't be made like this now for sure uh it's it's not universally appealing but as a as a uh it, it's something more than a curio but it's nothing you have to see in this life but if you're at all interested Oh yeah, yeah. Give give head a give head a run. I, I remember when Mike Nesmith died just a few months ago. Uh, someone on Twitter who I follow and I can't remember who they ran a review they had written of Head, and I, I read the review and I was like, "Wow, this sounds like something that I would either find fascinating or I would absolutely hate." Uh, <laughs> like it, it just like it, and I think their thing was it was like it, it was like them just saying, "Yeah, we don't we don't want to be." I don't know if popular is the right word, but uh, it's so anti-mainstream is, is what I got from it. Yes, but less so in 1968. I mean, okay. it is, but I mean, and this is, you know, this, this gets into a big thing that we, we, well, I don't think we've talked about much, but it's, you know, in 1968, there was a genuine counterculture. Mm-hmm. Yes. If we say it's not the mainstream, that's true. It was the counterculture. However, the counterculture was huge in 1968. So, you know, calling it, uh, you know, this is, I, I think of it now as uh, not an approachable film. It's not an accessible film. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the style in which it lives no longer really exists, but as you were saying, it does, it, it's, it's a really strong anti-corporate <laughs> anti uh, commercialism sort of stance. It's pointing out the the fakery of everything that the monkeys are uh, in a way that is not. Uh, uh, it, it's it's it spares the audience no feelings whatsoever. <laughs> it doesn't care if you're coming along for the ride or not. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I will eventually see that probably right after I ever see a Hard Day's Night, which I have not seen. <gasps> it has been sitting in my Criterion queue. And uh, oh, I, I just have not seen it. Uh, oh, Chris, A Hard Day's Night's one of the, I, I wouldn't I, say it's one of the 10 greatest films ever made, and I still might say that. A Hard Day's Night's fabulous. It will be a this year watch for me. It is and A Hard Day's Night actually does, it does what Head is trying to do mm-hmm. successfully while keeping the audience with it and does so much more. <laughs> and has much better music. <laughs> okay. I, I will get, it's been oh, Hard there. Day's Night is a fantastic piece of work. It yeah. was one of the first ones I added to my Criterion channel queue, and I just never got around to it. This is uh, but a show I idea, Chris. Chris, yeah. this is a show idea. I, I think but maybe we it will be. Hard Day's Night. We, we've got some Beatles stuff coming up, so maybe we'll uh, do a Beatles little mini series or something. <laughs> I, I'd be interested in that. Um, what you are describing, though, sounds nothing like Eight Mile, so I can't imagine the total whiplash. Yeah, so we followed, <laughs> and, and I realized it was going to be fun to watch to watch Emma go through uh, seeing these back to back, and so and it was weird. I haven't revisited Eight Mile probably since it came out on DVD. That's probably the last time I saw it was so we're close to 20 years ago. That movie okay. turns 20 next year. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> I know it's hard to believe Rodrigo Prieto, who shot it and is one of the greatest living cinematographers, you know, was in his thirties at the time. Jeez. <laughs> he's, he's now in his fifties. <laughs> he's, he's since shot, you know, silence for Scorsese. The, you know, <laughs> and yeah. it is an eight mile is a fantastic looking movie. Eight miles, eight miles is a, is a, is a really beautifully, photograph movie and I, I i mean beautifully in uh i i mean beautiful in that it it works really well what it's trying to do it's not a pretty movie mm-hmm. but it's beautifully photographed uh and it is uh I, I had the exact same response to it i had back then which is uh for an hour or so it is so fleet it is so watchable it's just a well-made movie uh the same reaction i had to king richard this year where it's like this is just watchable like i'm not saying it's setting the world on fire it's not doing mm-hmm. anything early new but oh my word it is it is fun to watch it is beautifully edited in the most non-showy way it just keeps moving uh and uh marshall mathers is holds the screen and at the same time isn't a great actor <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Not, you know, he's not he's not terrible. He's also not an actor. That's mm-hmm. readily apparent. Uh, but, you know, he's got enough charisma to make much of it work. Uh, there's an outstanding supporting cast. I forgot all the people that are in that movie. Oh, my gosh. Michael, yeah. Michael Shannon's in that movie. I'd forgotten Michael Shannon was in that mm-hmm. movie altogether. Um, 
and, and it works. It still really works. It is such a, you know, it is such this amazing mix of Rocky and Saturday Night Fever. It feels like that era of late 70s movie because it's not about, you know, becoming a superstar. It's not about setting the world on fire. It's about doing your best, yeah. figuring out what you can do and and then and then living in yourself. And yes, it's it's weird to have the film end on a a nod from the character's black best friend that seems to indicate yeah that white boy's gonna be okay it's, <laughs> that's a little weird i'll admit it's a little weird just feels kind of weird at this point uh but it's 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 still plays eight miles eight miles of fine movie curtis hansen was a, was a great director and it's a I, solid I, film i loved curtis hansen's work i i still go to bat for the river wild which is one i i really i enjoyed. do too um, i do too but uh my wife and i actually watched the, it was kind of the same thing a few years ago we were just talking and somehow it came out that she hadn't seen eight mile and i was like oh we got to fix that and so i've watched it within the last five years or so and i had the same reaction i'm like this is not you know this, this is, isn't an oscar winner or anything like that but it is but it is it's it, it, well, it is <laughs> yes okay okay yes you're you are absolutely right and for the thing it should have won for exactly. so um but uh it, it is hugely entertaining and it's very i remember so i grew up in warren um at, at probably about two miles from where eminem grew up and about a mile from where they filmed a lot of the movie mm-hmm. and that was the first time trying to get in to see that movie opening weekend was the first time I'd ever seen a non, you know, blockbuster type movie completely sell out a theater for a weekend straight. Like awesome. you, could, you could not get into eight mile and it was rowdy when you went to see it, everyone was cheering, you know, cause it was, I, this was back when they weren't filming a ton of movies in Detroit. And uh, so, you oh. know, you're seeing, you're seeing downtown, which that downtown does not look like that anymore. No. So it, it's a time capsule in its own right there. Yeah, it, it's very entertaining. And uh, I, I really enjoyed it watching it again. I still think that song is one of the great movie songs. Uh, I, I love Lose <laughs> Yourself. It is fantastic. I think one of my favorite pieces of trivia, though, is do you remember the Jake Gyllenhaal movie from a few years ago? Southpaw, the, back, oh, yeah. the boxing one. Yeah, that was originally going to be an eight mile sequel. What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not he wasn't going to be a boxer, yes, was he? Yes, yes. Um, I'm, I'm going to Google that right now. But I'm oh, yeah. no, that is all news to me. Wow. Okay, I'm trying to no. Yeah, no. it was event. It was originally going to be an eight mile sequel where he he I guess uh, did bad at rapping and came back as a boxer. So. I mean, the, well, it is an interesting thing to note uh, watching the movie again how much uh how much how many how much physical altercation there is in the movie uh, there's a lot of like male bonding pushing slap fighting mm-hmm. <laughs> and there there's a lot of male hugging in the movie which is like <laughs> you, i don't you don't see a lot of that in any movie and there's a lot of both of those things throughout this thing like there's a lot of there's a there's a sense of touch in the movie which i had utterly forgotten including that really good sex scene <laughs> These are really yeah. sex scene in the movie. The, the it's it's an OSHA violation, but uh... absolutely, it's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it is it's certainly indeed the stamping grounds. It's a it's a great it's a it's a it's a really interesting movie. Yeah, Curtis Hansen was a smart director who made good movies. I quite enjoy it. I am really surprised Eminem didn't appear in movies after that. Like, see, and I'm kind of not, but actually, yeah, for all the things we said, it's like I think he's smart enough to know he's not a good actor. And was lucky yeah. enough to find the perfect vehicle. And so, other than what he's in, he showed up. He showed up as a cameo in one of the Apatow films, and was really funny. That's I right. He was which, in, he's in Funny um, People, isn't he? Funny People. Yep. He picked yeah, a fight with uh, Ray Romano. Yes. And so, I think he knows exactly what he's good at, and is going to keep doing that. Um, okay, give him a lot, a lot of credit for. It. He's, he's a smart dude. Eight miles good. I, I it is now. I kind of want to go watch it again. Um, well, I hope you're. It's on up. HBO Max. It's oh, it is. Okay. Yes. I have it on Blu-ray because as soon as my I found out my wife hadn't seen it and it wasn't streaming anywhere, I bought the Blu-ray for like five bucks. And uh, nice. that, that was that was a good purchase. Uh, well, that's I hope this you- week's plug for physical product. <laughs> 
Well, everything I've watched that's coming up is either streaming or theaters. Um, and I hope you're buckled up because I have a long list of things that I've watched. And I was trying to figure out which one I wanted to talk about and then realized I kind of want to bring up all of them. Uh, okay. So uh, there's uh, we're going to go um, chronologically. Uh, okay. Most of them are very recent, but there is a old one I watched um, that I really wanted to talk about. So a few weeks ago, I'm sitting around. I was bored on a Saturday. I'm like, I really want to watch a movie. I should just go to Criterion Channel and see, you know, what I have in my queue, what might be leaving soon. And I found that the French Connection was leaving Criterion oh, yeah. at, the of, uh, at the end of January. Uh, and side note, it just moved over to Hulu. But uh, <laughs> I had never seen the French Connection before. It had always been on my list of movies I should see. And so I watched it and I quite liked it. Uh this is this stars Gene Hackman as Popeye Doyle, a cop in New York who's kind of him and his partner, who's played by Roy Scheider, are busting up some uh, kind of low level drug dealers when they stumble into an international drug ring. And that's basically the movie is trying to track them down. And if I had been told anything about this movie and probably the thing that put it on my list was, you know, you always hear you've got to see it because of the car chase. There is yes. a car chase where he's speeding after an elevated train and it is crazy. And I don't know how people are alive after that. Yes. Uh, it, it is thrilling and just as insane as I've been told. But what I wasn't prepared for is the whole movie moves like a chase sequence. Yeah. It is a, it is a sweaty, desperate movie where it's just following people and hoping that you're going to be at the, the right time to, to get the knowledge you need, to get that connection you need. Um, and it's a movie that just moves quickly. Uh, there are several really great minor chase sequences, including one on a subway that just yeah. ends with a great little punchline. Um, Gene Hackman, I did not know when I watched it that the next day was Gene Hackman's birthday. Um <laughs> which kind of made it perfect. It is one of his best roles. And Gene Hackman is one of my all time favorite actors. And I, I love him. He is really the only person in the movie who has much depth to him at all. He's this, you know, kind of messed up guy who's, you know, recovering addict. His life is kind of in disarray. And all he want, all he is, is obsessed with getting, you know, getting the bad guy. And, you know, it builds to one of those endings where, it's a little more complex than you're hoping for. And uh, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, I, I was glad I watched it because I, I love a good cop movie. I love a good Gene Hackman movie. I love a good Roy Scheider movie. Um, yeah, it, it's really good. And uh, that's, that's probably a very cold take 50 years after it came out, but uh, <laughs> I'm assuming you've seen this. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's the film that made William Friedkin the youngest winner of the best director Oscar ever. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, I have grown to have a, a, not the greatest of feelings towards Friedkin as a director. I, 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 I think that I don't. It's the best Friedkin film. Okay. <laughs> I, I still think it's not as good as it could be or should be. But for all the stuff that it does well, it does it also incredibly well. Yeah. Yes. The chase sequences are spectacular. I, I find. I find Hackman rather one notish throughout, quite frankly, and it's the character. I don't know how else to play it. Like you said, it's mm -hmm. a film that just moves. Yeah. I think tell I, I think it's misleading to call him the only one with depth that implies he has depth. And I don't think he does. <laughs> That's fair. Um, so you know, I, I don't I don't love the movie. I, I, I don't think it's I think it was I think giving it the best picture Oscar was crazy. <laughs> but it's a really good movie. And it's, it, it it's is watching, you know, it's, it's, it is much better than bullet. If we're going to talk about the history of movies with great car chases <laughs> in them. Uh, but I, and, and actually now that you've seen this, if you, if you have the time, it's not a great movie, but the French connection too is good. I've heard that. And actually Roy Scheider gets an outstanding sequence in that movie where he, okay. really, it's, he's the bad guys uh, addict him to heroin. And there's a sequence where he goes to withdrawal that he's very good in. It's it's chilling. If, you, if you've ever seen it, you'll remember it. It's good. Um, so you know, I'm I'm glad you saw it. It's worth. It is absolutely worth seeing. Uh, I just don't hold it as as high esteem as many others. I really liked it. Um, I think I like it better than The Exorcist, which is a movie oh, yeah. I I some you know we'll talk The Exorcist one day maybe. It, <laughs> 
it's a movie that sometimes works for me and sometimes a lot of it just falls I, flat for me. I would like to have this conversation with you because I, I realized uh, I realized the last time The Exorcist was in theaters, I went to see it again. And I realized why it had never scared me. And, and I've seen the film. I've, I've seen the film at least three times in the theater. And I don't know how many times on video. And it's never scared me. And I'm tr- I've always tried to figure out why. And I realized, oh, it's because I don't believe this can happen. Okay. Yeah. I, never, I, can, I am. I, it, 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 it has zero credibility for me. So it's always just been to me a freak show. It's like, okay, let's watch the as, as gross morally and physically thing that we can show and get away with and imply in order to horrify people. And I, it's never worked for me. That might be an interesting conversation, even to loop it into like ghost stories and stuff, because uh, yes, I, yes. I, I think maybe maybe around Halloween we revisit that. That might be a good topic. Right. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll put a pencil in that. Uh, speaking of movies, though, that maybe shouldn't have won or be nominated for Best Pictures um, or maybe they should have. I've been catching up on some of my Best Picture nominations. This Excellent. Week. And the first one I saw, because I'm trying to get what's available on streaming, um, I saw Coda on Apple Plus. And uh, Coda is a movie that was a huge hit at Sundance last year. Uh, It is about a teenage girl who is the only person in her family um, who is hearing. Uh, The rest of her family is deaf. And it is about the relationship she has with them. They are fishers um, on the East Coast and kind of the dependence they have on her and how that conflicts with some of her dreams that are coming up. this is a movie that there was another movie I felt this way about this year too called nine days, um, which got a lot of love. And it's that there are certain movies that when I criticize them, I feel like I'm kicking a puppy. Um, because, <laughs> yes, because they yes. are so well-intentioned and I know a lot of people really like Coda. And I think there are a lot of things this movie does really well. I think the dynamic between the family is really interesting. And Amelia Jones gives a really solid lead performance. I think it's really fascinating to watch um, kind of the isolation that she feels from the rest of her family because they all have this other way of communicating in this other environment they live in that she doesn't Mm -hmm. share, but she has a love of music that she can't share with them. And there's a dependency because they need her to help her navigate business and things like that. And all that is really fascinating. And I really, you know, that's interesting. And then the film decides to explore what happens when she wants to pursue her dreams. And her dreams are basically to be in a feel-good movie. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) There is so much other stuff in here that is pulled from other movies that it follows the playbook right away, you know, right down the line of... Well, does she have a gift? Will she pursue that gift? Will she be good at this gift? Yes, of course she will. This is the movie. Um, and, and none of that stuff really felt believably believable to me. There are some performances that I think in this movie go extremely broad. Um, there is a music teacher in this movie who it, the first half of the movie is just completely broad, like a cartoon character. And even uh, her father sometimes comes off like a, a, a big caricature of like a uncouth fisherman and what's weird is then they'll come back at the end and they will have these heartfelt moments where there's some good performances but the movie's tone is just all over the place and it just kind of made it this mixed bag where i can see yeah i'll I'll watch what this director does in the future and i'm not going to begrudge anyone for liking this it's a very likable watchable movie Mm -hmm. but um it yeah I, i wish it was a short movie about just the family and not not everything else that gets lumped in because it gets overloaded really fast. Gotcha. I still need to see it. I need to okay. see that and, and drive my car. Those are the two best picture nominees I haven't seen yet. And I'm really eager to see both of them. Okay. Drive my car and licorice pizza are the two I have not gotten around to. I know drive my car hits HBO max March 2nd. Um, Thank you for that. Yes. And <laughs> I did uh, not know that. Yes. Set aside the time now. Cause it is three hours long. Oh, I know. Um, I'm here for it. I, I, I'm I, looking forward to the, I've read that one. Makes me believe yep. I'm going to like this. And uh licorice pizza. I don't know when I will see um, because there is no date on the horizon for that, but I will be snapping that one up as soon as I can. Um, but speaking of best picture nominees, I also saw just this weekend, I watched nightmare alley. Guillermo oh. del Toro's uh, most recent one. And 
I don't know why I hadn't seen this in theaters. I, I well, okay, aside from the fact that you know the world was horrible for the last two months or so, but uh, yeah, I, I don't. I, I liked Guillermo del Toro. There are some movies he's done that I really like. Um, I'm a big Pan's Labyrinth fan. I like The Shape of Water. Um, so I don't know why I didn't see this, except I thought it would be another one of his ghost stories, and I figured I've seen that before. I can uh, I can kind of wait on that. But um, this is actually his first non-supernatural movie. It stars Bradley Cooper as a man who's running from his past who uh, joins up with a carnival and learns the trade from carnies and decides he's going to join up with a uh, performer at the carnival and hit the road for himself, uh, fleecing people. And he uh, ends up falling in the snare of a woman played by Kate Blanchett. And um, bad things happen. Uh and I don't want to say more because it did just hit it did just hit HBO Max and Hulu. So it's easy to watch right now. And um, I will say this was not the movie I thought it was going to be. Uh, it, it is a much more complex movie than I thought it was going to be. It is about the ways we manipulate people. It is about the addictions we're drawn to that allow other people to manipulate us. It is about power plays that we can't see Uh in some ways, it reminded me a little bit of Power of the Dog in that. Um, I, I really, I really liked it. Um, I didn't love it. I, I feel like there's a half hour that could be shaved from it pretty easily um, because every movie is required to be two and a half hours long now. Um, but I mean, I was never bored. I really liked Bradley Cooper in the, in the main role. I, I think he's he's really strong. Kate Blanchett's always great. There is an office she works in in this movie that is my dream office. Uh, it, it is, it is gorgeous. Um, with the couch. Are, you want, you with, want the analyst couch? Too? Oh yeah. You got to have that in front of the big window Good where deal. it's always snowing. Uh, there are character <laughs> actors who pop up that I, I love like David straight Um, uh, there was someone else. So Ron Perlman, Willem Dafoe, um, Mary Steenburgen shows up for four minutes. Uh, and it, you know, and I, yeah, I like this. Uh, it, it might be one of my favorite del Toro's. Um, maybe just because I didn't, expect the movie to be what it was and uh i I really loved it so the reason there's a half hour in there that you feel could go is because you're right i I actually know that i i know the original movie i've never read the book that it's based on but i know the original 46 noir and that's what this is it's a gritty noir story Mm -hmm. classic noir i mean a noir about fate (laughs) Mm -hmm. the inability to escape your fate and the inability to run from your past which is what is at the core of all of the great noirs uh and so yes what was fascinating about this one for me is watching a story that yes should be a 90 minute black and white gritty thing turned into the most spectacular looking movie i saw all year oh it's gorgeous i want this film to win every coffee table oscar Mm -hmm. it is gorgeous yes absolutely gorgeous and not even in the way gorgeous like it's not showy gorgeous it just is it just it's just it's just, it's just beautiful yeah. to look at <laughs> um and that's and and while i don't i wish there was more made of the fact that it is such an ugly story being told with such beauty <laughs> I, I i wish that they guillermo leaned into that just a little more somehow um i too have i i am very I can recognize Del Toro as a fantastic filmmaker. And my problem is I don't share his interests and loves. I don't, mm, I, don't sure. I don't live on his wavelength at all. And even Pan's Labyrinth, which I agree is his best movie has an ending that I have real problems with uh, from, for what I think that movie then is saying. That said, I also love shape of water. Uh, and I really like this <laughs> a, a great deal. It, I don't know that it's the best way to tell this story, um, but it is a really great way to tell the story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was intrigued by, and it's certainly not the 46 film, if you've ever seen it, which I think is on the Criterion channel until the end of the month. Oh, interesting. If it didn't go off last month, it's going off this month. Um, and the, the book I've always heard is, is amazing as well. This incredibly gritty post-World War II American disillusionment story. Uh, which is exactly what this movie is. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Bradley Cooper's fantastic. I'm so glad you mentioned David Strathern. He's so good in this. Yes. <laughs> I mean, everybody's great in it. And he's mm-hmm. so good in this as the, the elder mentalist who, uh, from, from whom Bradley Cooper's character learns how to do this shtick that he will do for the second half of the movie. 
Uh, yeah, it's so good. I would go see it again in the theater that's showing it in the black and white. I, it, I would I would watch it. Oh, in it's black being and shown white. in black and white. Yes. Yes. Oh, he, oh. he shot it so that it could he knew it would be released in color and planned it as you can mm-hmm. tell you couldn't shoot this well without knowing what you were going to do with the color of the movie but he also uh kept an eye on grading it for black and white and that's oh. that's played in a number of theaters and i'm hoping will be made available uh as, as of course i could just turn off the color on my tv but <laughs> i find i'd rather see what he's planned with it i yeah and it, it does do something where i you know i i could tell what note it was going to end on Oh, about yeah. a half hour before it does, but it does a beautiful thing where that's not ruining a twist. It is just that moment is so inevitable. Yeah. Like, it, 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 oh, it's so good. Um, and Del Toro has gone. I've listened to him do a bunch of interviews and he has spoken beautifully about Bradley Cooper and how Bradley Cooper plays that scene about us. That, you know, that what he gets, what he brings to all of it that you don't expect is uh, a sense of relief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I like being able to say it that way without spoiling anything. Right. <laughs> In case so you good. Really don't like spoilers, but you trust me, you, you can't, you can't be spoiled. Um, so I got two more. Um, All right. Two more. One of which is literally maybe the most balls out movie I've ever seen. Uh, and that would be, uh, that would be jackass forever, Perry. <laughs> oh, I need to see this. I need to see the jackass movie. I have not yet. I want to. I, I I feel like there's this weird balance I walk where it should be beneath me to love these movies so much, but I do not think I have ever laughed as hard in a movie as I have seen the three jackass movies and bad grandpa. Um, And maybe bad grandpa was a little less uh, not to be confused with dirty grandpa, which no one laughed at, Um, but uh, jackass forever is uh it's a jackass movie. It is exactly what you think. It is guys who are 50 years old in their 50s with gray hair getting pummeled. Um, I, I, I can't say more. I just feel like I got to fess up to say it that I laughed so hard watching this. I screamed at several points, just no, no, don't do that. Um, I was having physical reactions in this movie. Um, I was kind of wondering if in old age they might soft pedal this or or let the new recruits handle a lot more of the stunts. And nope, nope. Donnie Knoxville ended up with at least one concussion that you get to see him get. And um, all the stuff you love about Jackass is present in this. I remember when the show took off on MTV. And I hated the show. I really hated it. I thought this is, this is awful. Like, what, this is just, this is mm-hmm. stupid. And with nothing that I ever found funny. And I've liked every one of the movies. <laughs> I've, and guess what? They get better. They learn, yeah. they, they learn how to craft them better each time. I think each one is better than the last one. So I'm assuming this one will be better than all of them. I might prefer Jackass 3 just as I think it might be the best use of 3D and slow motion I have ever seen in a movie. Um, and I'm the saying giant that. gloved fist <laughs> yeah. is yes. still one of the greatest achievements just in set building and design I've ever seen for a movie. Yes, glorious. So last movie I have, I think this one is up your alley. I would not be surprised if you've already seen this. I saw Steven Soderbergh's Kimmy over the weekend. <gasps> I haven't. Oh, you haven't seen it? No. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll tread lightly. Um, I'll tread lightly. It, it's basically Soderbergh doing the conversation and Rear Window. Where is it? Um, it is on HBO Max. Uh, and it. And I just said how every movie has to be two and a half hours. This gets in and out in 92 minutes. Yeah. Uh, I, I enjoyed this. Uh, I will say very little except Zoe Kravitz is very good in it uh, as the lead. Um, I think it has that thing going from Steven Soderbergh movies where sometimes I feel like maybe it feels like it's a rough draft uh, in that it could use a little more polish, but then it would take away what I like about it, which is this kind of immediate feeling that his movies are just something he is making to amuse himself and keep himself engaged. Uh, the thriller elements, they're fine, but really this, the, the movie reason to watch this is that it says so much about 
right now, the world we live in, the anxiety, the paranoia, it is a COVID movie that actually has something to say about how we're living in the world of COVID. Excellent. Um, I liked it. And if you have seen Hulu's uh, movie um, in and of itself with Derek Del Guadio, he is in this movie and uh, you know, he's in the movie. He's not an a-, a great actor, but uh, he he's in it. And I was very pleasantly surprised to see him show up uh, as well as Devin Ratray from uh, Home Alone, who uh, <laughs> shows up. And I'm just always happy to see him get work. Um, I won't say more. I did really like Kimmy. Um, I've said this before. I think Soderbergh is really having fun puttering around in retirement. And uh, I, I love <laughs> I love to watch it. It, it is. Really fun and a reminder that I still need to go back and watch No Sudden Move. Oh, it's good. It's really hey, you know good. what? Here's the thing with No Sudden Move. I got 15 minutes in, and the lens he was using was driving me bonkers. Oh, the, good. Uh, just stick with it. Okay, Don't worry. it doesn't All stay right. the whole time. It's it's okay. not it's not fish eye the entire time. Okay, good. But so, it's, and it's and it's purposeful. Okay, it's not just a stylistic choice. It's there. It's there for a reason. All right, I'll give that another chance. Uh, oh, it's I, worth it just for Cheadle. Just okay. stick with it for Cheadle. He's fantastic. All right, because I did really like Kimmy, and uh, everybody's good. Oh, good, yeah. and I'm excited. I will. I I had no idea it was there. I will watch it uh, either tonight or 24 hours from now. I will have watched it. Awesome! Can't wait to hear what you think <laughs> of that one. That's that's a good one. Um, so now, after all that preamble, we are going to continue our Robert Altman discussion, and we are going to talk about 1973's The Long Goodbye. This is what his fourth movie, Perry, uh, from from Mash. Yes. Okay, we're, 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 we've agreed. We're just calling Mash the first movie. Okay, so yes. Uh, this is his take on Raymond Chandler's novel. Uh, it is a Philip Marlowe story. Philip Marlowe is played by Elliot Gould. Uh, it is about him living in 1970s California. He is asked by a friend to drive him to Tijuana. Uh, The next day, he learns that that friend's wife is murdered and his friend is the suspect. Um, From there, it is, of course, a web of complications and deception. And I will just leave it at that. Uh, You can see this. Well, I actually think you can see this until February 28th on Criterion Channel. Um, But I think you can rent it elsewhere. And I think it's Mm -hmm. on. I want to say it's on HBO Max. It might be. There's a lot of overlap. A lot of overlap. so, yeah, I'll start with this one. Um, the thing I have enjoyed about doing these Robert Altman movies so far is watching the way he takes genres that either some of them I'm not in. I'm not a Western guy, but I like his Western. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not a I, I'm kind of a war movie guy. MASH is not like any other war movie I've ever seen. And I really like it for that. Um, I am a private eye movie guy. I, I like that trope. I have I have fun with that. And what I loved about The Long Goodbye, because spoiler alert, I really enjoyed this movie, (laughs) is that he continues that streak of playing with your expectations for that genre. Um, And and I will just start off by saying the thing that I always look forward to in these movies is the narration. Just the the private eye with that hard-boiled, you know, narration over everything. And he doesn't do that in this, but he does does do it in a way that is so great, which is Elliot Gould just kind of rambling to himself about everything that's going on. And it's such a great take on the character. Um, I haven't seen a lot of the other Marlowe movies, um, but I know, you know, he's, he's played by steely tough guys. Elliot Gould is not a guy I think of as a steely tough guy. And in this, he's kind of, He's kind of baffled the whole time. He's kind of confused at times. He's a little bit of a smart ass. Um, and well, he's a smart ass or he's a cutie pie. That's right. And it, I love that because it is this feeling of this man who is so out of his element in 1970s LA. He is, you know, just a person not of his time trying to navigate a world that is so much more corrupt than he is. And I will be honest, like every other movie I've seen that likes to take after Chandler, including Big Lebowski and Inherent Vice, I could not follow this plot half the time. And I don't think it matters um, because this is a movie about that tone and that world and the people who are surrounding Marlowe and just just the rot surrounding him. Um, I, I really, really liked this. You have described it beautifully. Yes, that's that's that's. I, I yes, 
you responded to exactly what Altman's trying to do throughout the entire thing. Um, I, I love it for all of those reasons and for one of my 10 favorite performances by an actor in a leading role ever. I, I adore Elliot Gould in this movie. I'm an Elliot Gould fan, generally speaking, but this is, uh, I, it has never been described better than uh, David Thompson, who I tend to quote far too often, uh, wrote about his perform- about Gould's performance in this movie, that he's like a fantastic stoned jazz musician who's managed to play a melody to a familiar song in a way that nobody else in the film can catch can't quite latch on to (laughs) but it's brilliant (laughs) and that's exactly the tone of the whole movie that Mm -hmm. is uh it's yes it is a movie that is about you know i love that in this film marlo's catchphrase is it's okay with me Mm -hmm. he says at the end of at least a half a dozen times in the movie whenever he's comes face to face with something that seems completely inexplicable and that the whole point of the movie is to get to the point at which something is not okay with him. I literally, I literally, my yes. last bullet point I have is quote, it's okay with me dash until it's not. Until it's not right. Exactly. Yeah. We find the breaking point. Uh, and that's, and it all, I, I know that people, some people really hate this film because it's not Chandler and it's not, but it is. <laughs> In its in its way, it absolutely is, and it's worth noting that the screenplay was done by Lee Brackett, who mm-hmm. co-wrote the original Bogart, The Big Sleep. It's not his first time tackling Chandler. He knew exactly what he was doing with all these strokes. But then, and then Altman does what Altman does really well. He just finds an absolutely different perspective to bring to this generic material that feels so modern <laughs> that. Uh, for me, even almost 50 years later, this film plays. It, it doesn't feel like an artifact of the early 70s. It does if you're paying attention to what was going on in film at the time. But I, I, you drop this film now, I think it would play. It's it's just, it 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 works. Yeah. It works beautifully as a private eye film because there's really funny dialogue throughout this film. He gets smart guy lines. That's what I like in private eye films. Mm-hmm. I like, I like tough guy banter (laughs) and there's a lot of really good tough guy banter in this movie in addition to it being this great you know in the the shorthand word would be stoner but i don't even want to call it that because that's that's i think that belittles what they're doing here it is a film that is captures the mood and malaise of 1973 Mm -hmm. in while still being a ton of fun having some uh horrific brutality that still isn't graphic oh yeah there's a, there's a, i don't want to spoil it the coke bottle <laughs> the coke bottle is brilliantly done and is it isn't graphic and it's horrific uh and that's a fantastic turn by uh it's uh it's, it's mark Rydell, right yes yeah uh as a as a marty augustine mm-hmm. <laughs> a, a a bad bad dude that we get to meet during the course of this movie it's um it's just a great piece of work it's 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 a fun it's it's a fun movie that shouldn't be fun it's it's not it's not about having fun but it's a it's it's fun again until it isn't (laughs) yeah it's well i i will say just knowing that elliot gould was in this and my association with him is comedies um i assumed this was kind of going to be a goofy type movie And, and I, I think maybe that there was a part of me that was like, I don't want to go see a goofy private. Act. And it's not. But like you said, it is fun. He is he's not giving a comedic performance, but he is funny. Um, yeah. You know, the scene where he's being interrogated by the police, which he improvised that whole scene, yes. um, which at some points, maybe some of it doesn't play as well now. Um, but he's really funny and charismatic in that, in the way he's, like you say, he's a smart ass uh, or a cutie pie. Um, In that exact scene. Yes. That's where that comes out. Yeah. But just also like, there are weird little touches in this. Like when he goes to the, uh, when he goes to the hospital or resort where uh, the, the rehab center where Roger Wade's staying and Henry Gibson starts following him around and it, it is so goofy to watch little Henry Gibson like running after him and scurrying after him until he happens into that scene where he's forcing this, like the two sequences where you see him just 
toe to toe with the giant and the actor's name is lost on me. And we just said two minutes ago who plays Roger Wade. Oh, Hayden. Sterling Hayden. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, um, the, the dynamic between them, between him and Henry Gibson, uh, where it's this little guy. So intimidating to this big yeah. mountain of a man that that scene where he's at the party and he slaps him across the face. It's almost comedic if it wasn't if Henry Gibson wasn't so good at being so terrified in that. Scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of a mountain of a man, I had to pause the movie at one point. Um, and you're going to know what I'm talking about when he uh, when Elliot Gould is in um, Marty Augustine's office with his henchmen. Yes. And I'm stopping and I'm like, who is that giant ass guy? Oh, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. And, and you can't take, you know, he doesn't say a single word. But you can't take your eyes off him the entire time because you're like, well, that's that's Arnold and he is giant. And uh, it, it has nothing to do with the quality of the movie. It was just a little touch. The little thing I picked up where I'm like, oh, is that Arnold? It sure is. Um, one thing I love, though, is like we, we've talked a lot about the uh, the audio in, in Altman's previous movies, the way he's mm-hmm. mixed sound. And it is he does that again here where everything seems to be overheard. Everything seems to be kind of garbled at times, mm-hmm. be- but that ties into these visuals too, where everything we see is through Marlowe peeking through a trellis or looking, looking into a window. And it's this idea that everything is being hidden. Everyone is keeping everything hidden from him. Yes. And it's so fascinating to watch because he is the one honest character. Um, and the, the film twists uh, or turns on an ultimate deception being done to him. Yes. And I, I really I enjoyed watching that. There's another visual thing that I want to bring up. There is a use of animals in this movie that I could not figure out at first. But animals are everywhere in this. Pets in particular. Yes. Um, the first 10 minutes are Marlowe trying to track down cat food. And specific cat food, yes. Specific cat food. And when he doesn't get it, his cat is up and leaves. He's out of yes. there. Um, but also the Wades have a dog that hates him. And mm-hmm. every time he's there, that dog goes nuts. And then there's a scene where Marlowe goes to Mexico and there are just dogs humping in the middle of the road. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to figure it out. And I don't know if this was intentional, but I pulled it out of it. Um, there's this idea that, you know, animals are honest, right? <laughs> they, they are loyal to a fault. But if they don't like you, they will tell you they won't hide their business. They'll just do it in the open road. And every person in this movie, except for Marlowe, is hiding something that, you know, it, it's almost this commentary that at least animals are open and honest and people always have something to hide. And that was I, I don't know I like if it. that was intentional, but it was definitely something I was mulling over over this weekend. I like um, it. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sure Altman liked it, too. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, it, it's really fantastic. And you can see I, I kept thinking of Inherent Vice when, when I watched this. It, oh, definitely. That, I mean, that was absolutely you know, Paul, an influence. Paul loves Altman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Altman was, you know, he was, you know, I think we've talked about this, Altman, his last two features, he was so physically unwell that it was a requirement for the insurance uh, people to have a director on set the entire time to take over in case he was incapacitated. And it was Paul Thomas Anderson on Prairie Home Companion. Okay. Uh, and it was, it was Stephen Frears on Gosford Park. So they're really good dudes right there <laughs> to learn whatever they could glean from Altman. Uh, I, I like that. Uh, I, what I love about the sound, uh, the way he uses his sound in this is that for the other movies we've seen, you know, the sound is, is that way for the viewer. It's there so that you get a sense of how cacophonious and uh, over over talky everybody is. It's a stylistic choice. You know, here, it's not nearly as prominent. He does it. It's not it's not as constant as I think it is in in both McCabe and in MASH. But it's there because that's it's a first person thing. Mm -hmm. That's how the character is hearing it. Yes. And I love that this thing that could easily become you know, a, a stylistic gimmick for a less, uh, a less uh, rigorously inclined director uh, becomes something else. It's still there. And yet it mm-hmm. becomes, it, it takes on another meaning by this point for him. And that's, 
that's one of the other reasons I really like this movie from Altman. It's, it's one of my very favorite Altman movies for that. It's it's an interesting follow up from McCabe in the fact that I kept thinking about how McCabe is kind of this. It has the structure of a Western that that script where like we talked about, it ends yeah. with a shootout. It's on, on paper. That is a Western and he does something a little different. And his hero is not who you would expect a Western hero to be. He's he's a little too naive. He's a little too trusting and a little not not too bright sometimes. McCabe yeah. is. Um, and then you have his approach to Marlowe, which I'm, I'm assuming at the time must have been controversial because he is not this hard boiled flinty guy. He is like, like you said, he's, he's kind of a aloof. He's kind of a stoner. He, uh, he's figuring this out all as he goes along and kind of bumbling his way through and really through most of the movie, he poo poos the whole idea that the actual solution to this case is the actual solution to the case. Yes. yes. Um, and, and it's so interesting that he's, he, Altman seems to have this uh, desire to just kind of unpack what what we expect of heroes for these type of genre films. Yeah. Um, and, and it's much more enjoyable to watch than the 13th, you know, Humphrey Bogart impression. Uh, it It is, I, I really would wish he would have played this again, that uh, Elliot Gould would have played the character again. And apparently he owns the rights to a Chandler's short story that he got for a dollar and said, as long as he is physically able, he would be interested in playing the role again. And now <laughs> I just sure want to see old Elliot Gould play, uh, <laughs> play Philip Marlowe again. I would have about 10 years ago. He might, he might even be too old for me to really want this <laughs> at this point. Maybe in his friend's era. Yeah. And I do like that. This is, you know, it, and, and it, Altman takes, Altman takes some big swings stylistically here. You know, the choice to have this original song, The Long Goodbye, written for the movie, and then to have nothing but that song be yeah. the soundtrack for the movie. Like, there's like, I think, six different versions of the and, song and that it, appear throughout the movie in wildly different versions. Yeah, I was getting That's, so... I was getting so confused at first. Like first I got really excited because I'm like, oh, John Williams, this must have been one of his very first movies um, to compose. And, and I, you know, I was like, oh, I like this song. And I even it's in the very first scene. Yes. You hear that song about three different times within the first five minutes of the movie. Yeah. And I was confused. I'm like, this is a really weird song. It has so many styles in it. Uh, And then it keeps coming back. So it, it was it almost played for me like the rake joke on The Simpsons, where <laughs> it would keep coming back and I would start to roll my eyes and being like, OK, this is a little too cute for its own good. And then by the time it's coming back is like a hippie folk song or a mariachi band playing it. I, it was just a joke that made me laugh the entire yeah. time. It, it, it's really good. It um, is. It leads to the question, is his ultimate smart ass or cutie pie? <laughs> it is it is a weird, it is a, it is a stylistic choice that will either, either you won't notice it or it will annoy you or you'll be tickled by it. Yeah, yeah, it, it was fun. Um, it, I liked, uh, I liked Nina Van Pallant as uh, Eileen. Yes. I, I, she's, she's really good in like, it's again, not the obvious femme fatale role, you know, she, I sympathized with her and was on her side for most of the movie. Um, and there's a really interesting thing too, where she, she has the seduction of Philip Marlowe all set up. She, she had, cooks him this seductive dinner and nothing happens uh, except that her husband kills himself like five yeah, minutes later so and walks in the sea, which is another scene that just kind of comes out of nowhere. And it's just chilling to watch how long he holds yeah. on that whole sequence. Um, but I really liked her in that. Um, I feel like maybe the last five minutes were a little rushed for me. I felt like it got got to the end and I'm like, oh, that was really abrupt. But like we've said, that is a breaking point for him. And what else is there to do? There are um, there are stories that there were different endings. OK, Altman juggled with. And and so this might have been, you know, I, I, he's never said that this isn't his movie. This is the version that's been out there the longest by far. Um but it is it, it it you're right it does have a it is sudden <laughs> where we go with this and we're not left with a lot to there there's as as with the rest of the film there's very little explanation we just sort of have to figure out mm-hmm. how we feel about this are 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 we okay 
<laughs> is is it okay with us? And it it does. There's there's a reading of this film where you can decide that you know Marlowe is you know it is is the film a warning about where America is in 1973, or is it you know is it a call to arms to stand up to where we are in 1973? <laughs> I, and I love that it isn't either one of those things. You could, I, you could read that it, you read that into it either way, but what it is, is a really effective piece of filmmaking that is fun to watch and will leave you. Uh, if, if you respond to it, will leave you with these great questions. Of, yeah. I don't know exactly what he means, <laughs> but, but it's going to be, I enjoyed, I, 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 that world was fascinating and it feels like a great fictional real place. And it's going to be fun to go back over the years and rewatch it and pick yeah. them all out. Like, I know this yeah. was one of the movies Roger Ebert did his, uh, you know, where he would show it and stop every frame yeah. to unpack it. And he, yeah, I read his great movies review on this and it was, it was fantastic. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to rewatching this and, Oh my gosh, I just realized too, within like 1973 and 1974, you had two of the great private eye movies. You had uh, this and then Chinatown the very next year, which couldn't feel more different. Absolutely. Well, and and honestly, it's also it could also be shown on a double feature with the conversation, which is mm-hmm. the same year. I mean, this, you know, there was people realized that the you know private eyes and snooping were were good business in the Watergate era. It oh was, yeah, it was, it was fertile ground to comment upon. I, I, I look forward to people bringing them back now in the Facebook era, the uh, data privacy era. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that's the long goodbye. I don't know that we have anything else to say on that, but uh, I would recommend everyone go check it out. Absolutely, I, I do think so. Of the three Waltmans we've done so far, which are the three Altmans I have seen, I think this one so far is my favorite. Okay. Um, and I think it just comes down to maybe just the type of movie it is. I love a good private eye movie. Um, but gosh, I'm glad we decided to do this series. This is this is a fun series. And I know, I know Nashville is up next, right? Yeah, I think next we should tackle Nashville, which is often considered Altman's magnum opus. And it sort of is the cap. It, it caps this amazing five-year run, and there are good films in this period from seventy to seventy-five, which we we have not uh, covered in toto, and maybe we'll reach back from at some point. But I, I want to get through a, a, a few more before we get to his his uh, his golden resurgence in the nineties. Fun, there's, there's some really good films in there, and yes, we are. I, I think uh, I think Chris, I think it will be best if we do tackle one uh, not good movie. Okay. <laughs> I don't often ask you to sit through a, a, a movie that I don't think is good, but I think if we're going to cover Altman in full, we really will. Uh, we will be, we will be addressing Popeye. Yes. I have a morbid curiosity to see Popeye and we, I we don't fulfill know why. That. We will awesome. fulfill that, but not yet. Not First, yet. We're going to do Nashville. And we might get to Nashville. It might be April before we get to Nashville, because in the meantime, we've got some, we've got something we've been trying to do since a December that I think might happen next month. Um, I, I've, we have a very long project to watch that uh, I am going to be on a plane for six hours next week and think I can kind of clear out of there. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. And then I know there's going to be Oscars coming up and we will do a whole thing before the Oscars. And then we will jump into Nashville, um, you know, which will give us time before the last Jurassic world comes out to really, really <laughs> prepare for that one. I will tell you, you do need three hours for Nashville. <laughs> yes. Not to bum and, you out, but yes. you, you And probably not on an airplane. I'm guessing. I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't, but hmm, interesting. Not for your first time. No, no, I'm, no. Too much. yeah. Altman's roving camera needs is the uh, a bigger screen if possible. Yeah. I am. I am not a good flyer. So uh, I, I bought an, I bought a tablet last year and I was playing around. I'm like, oh, I can put some stuff on my tablet to kind of take the edge off flying. So the project that we have talked about, I am going to uh, to go through. And then I think I wanted something disposable. So I got Thor Ragnarok, which uh, is a fun little movie. I I like I like a little Taika Waititi. Um, No spoilers, but I hope that, you know, after you're done on this trip, you get back safely. I don't have a comeback for that. <laughs> but I, I hope so too. And I am really looking forward to finishing the thing we're not talking about so that we can come back and talk about it. 
Exactly. Um, but Perry, in the meantime, where can people find you? You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at Perry Loves Film. You can hear me every Friday on WLBY in Ann Arbor on the Lucy and Lance show. And uh, obviously, you know, if you can hack my HBO Max account, I'll be watching the new Soderbergh in the next 24 hours. So come find me. Enjoy that one. And where uh, can we find you, Chris? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Mere Christianity. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, if you if you search for criticisms on Facebook, I have a author page there. And then the best way is my newsletter. It is criticisms. It is on Substack. Uh, today, I just published a piece about Roger Rabbit, one of my favorite movies of the 1980s. I have my top 10 list from 2021 up there, a piece on Ivan Reitman. Um, and I completed the series I did on the before movies. So there's a lot of good stuff there. A lot of good stuff coming. I'm going to be jumping into the Cornetto series in a little bit. So uh, <laughs> good stuff there. Subscribe and read and share with your friends. At World's and End is underrated. That's World's it. End is fantastic. I, I will it say It is that. an underrated but, movie. Yep. We will be back in a few weeks. Perry, I'll see you then. Take care. <laughs>